This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday. 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome it's officially fight week and i can't wait to get down to houston for ufc 265 to see surreal gone and Derek lewis throw down in person i'll talk about them soon plus khabib may have dropped a hint about his future cody garbrandt is fighting at flyweight and george masvidal got a surprise that's all coming up later but let's begin with the big event that's going down on saturday i have to operate in a world of ridiculousness right i mean in large part that's what mma is all the way along the journey all the way as i go back as a fan and a participant and i was embarrassed to tell people what i did because the stigma and the belief around it Right, the human cockfighting. You remember some of these things. There was even a while where if I said the UFC, they didn't know what that was, and I would take the time to explain. I can remember specifically getting my hair cut. I can remember specifically trying to tell them what it was, trying to tell them what it stood for, and eventually they said, oh, so that's like boxing, and I said yes. And after doing this dance three or four times, because I remember thinking it was cool. I mean, when I told somebody I'm in the UFC, I was bragging. I'm attempting to tell a story. I've worked hard, I'm a good athlete, I'm a tough guy. Like, I was trying to tell a story. The story just kept failing. So I got to where I would always, and people would always come to the conclusion after I did go through a three-minute introduction with them, they would always come to the same conclusion. They would say either, oh, so it's like boxing, or they would say, oh, so it's like wrestling. So over time, I either found something else to say that I did, or I would say, it's like boxing, or I'd say, it was like wrestling. But right, it's one of these... One of these interesting spots. People are now coming to me this week saying that Surreal Gone, this is all happening too fast. If he could just have more time. And it always seems like a baffling argument, one of which I have never made in any walk of my life. Right? If you waited for the perfect time to have kids, there would be no kids, just by example. But if you waited for the perfect time to do anything, there would be no fill in the blank. So the argument now that's going around is this all happened too fast for Surreal Gong. He needed a little bit more time. You're talking about a guy who's been in combat forever. You're talking about a guy whose kickboxing record looks a lot like Israel Adesanya's record. You're talking about a man in MMA whose MMA record looks a lot like Adesanya's record, except completely unblemished. I don't know what Gong is. I believe he's 13-0. If I'm wrong, he's 14-0. This guy hasn't been beaten, but you're, you're saying that it's too early. You're then saying that a guy is being rushed into something when the odds makers in Vegas say he's a 3-1 to favorite to win. I don't know how those go hand in hand. You don't think that Surreal Gong should be at this point in his career fighting against Derek Lewis. Derek has a whole bunch of losses and Surreal has absolutely no losses. Does that matter? I'm asking a question. I'm laying out what the facts are. And as soon as I start pushing back in some of these annoying conversations that I have to be in the very first place, I then hear no. Surreal can go to Houston. Surreal can do MMA. Surreal can do main events. Surreal can go in there with Derek, who has a lot more fights under the unified rule. Surreal should not be in a championship fight. What the hell's the difference? What's the If you checked every box, what do you care if they put a belt up for grabs, right? I mean, this is one of the great problems in sports psychology. What difference does it make? What's on the line? I've shared this story with you guys. Put up with me and bear with it again. 
But one of my favorite sports psychology studies was done when a guy walked into a room full of people and he lays a two by four on the ground. And he says, who here can walk this two by four heel to toe? Everybody raises their hand and he has absolutely everybody do it. Nobody fell off. Everybody succeeded. There was no nerves. There was no anxiety. Whatever, they sit back down. He brings in 12-foot step ladders and he lays the same two by four across the top of the step ladders and he says, who can walk this heel to toe? And no hands go up. And the psychologist conducting this blind study says to them, the event hasn't changed, but the environment did. You just walked that same two by four. None of you fell off it. None of you were wobbly. None of you were sweating on your forehead. It's the exact same thing that you just did, but the environment is different. Now, I'm well aware that many of us would be in the side of, eh, it's different. I don't have the same anxieties. I don't have the same nerves. And even if I didn't fall off it, that's different because if I had fallen off it, nothing would happen versus if I fall off it, that I would be hurt. I get where it's not the complete same. But I think you also understand my point that just because the environment changes, or even in this case, the stakes change, you see where this becomes problematic. And it's not just on Surreal, it's on Surreal this week. And people will continually say this about other, they need more experience, they're not ready, it's not their time. Those people could be right. But you will never know until it's over and you look back. You will never know where the peak was. You will never know where the prime was until it's all over and you look back. What you will do in life looking for that perfect opportunity is you're going to miss a whole bunch. Wayne Gretzky, it might be the greatest thing he ever did, but he left us with an adage, which is you miss every shot that you don't take. That's not just in hockey, that's in life. You will miss every single shot that you don't take. You have people saying that surreal, this is too fast, it's too early, while the odds makers that deal with people who put their money where their mouth is have them as a three-to-one favorite over a guy with much more experience in his hometown of Houston. Those arguments can't go together. And I'll share with you something about fighting because it's unique to this sport, unlike anything else I've seen. Anything else that I've ever seen, particularly as it comes to sport, but the more that you do it, the better that you get. The more you read, the faster you get at reading. More books you go through, better you get at comprehension. Better you get at spelling. Better you get at phonetics. Better you get it with logistics. I understand the entire uh, linguistics. I understand the whole thing. This sport is unique that you don't get better each time you do it. You get worse. You will leave a piece of yourself out there each time. If you see somebody with a hundred fights, that's not good. You should not compliment that person. That's weird. That's a very strange thing to do. And they usually don't have a whole lot left. And I see it in sport all the time. I come from amateur wrestling, but I've seen it in our sport. There was a guy named Brandon Eggum. He's now the head coach of the University of Minnesota. He was an alternate for the world championships behind Cale Sanderson. Brandon Eggum did not prepare for the world championships. He did not prepare to compete. He did not study the competition. He did not get his weight under control. He wasn't even going to be there because it was an alternate. Cale Sanderson at the 11th hour pulls out. Eggum gets on an airplane, enters, and makes it all the way to the finals. There's something to being fresh. And I could give you those examples until I'm blue in the face. We've even seen it in MMA. I'll give you a great example of that of Michael Bisping. Bisping was not prepared to fight for a world championship with Luke Rockhold. He gets called on short notice. He accepts. He steps in. He wasn't panicked. He was fresh. 
And even though Luke was prepared and Luke knew what he was going into and Luke knew that that date was looming and Luke was getting his cardio on and his weight on point, he was so focused. It was called paralysis by analysis. Bisping was loose. He was fresh. Not just his body, but his mind. He goes there and beats him. Those examples never run out. We saw it a week ago with the Olympic Games when Simone Bile pulls out and the alternate steps in just by example. But I'll never get... These will never run out of the person who's got a clear head stepping in and stealing the show. And I'm really just trying to share something with you. But experience in any other field that would lend an observer to believe you're going to have something closer to excellence in this sport, it's just not true. You leave something of yourself out there. That chamber's only got so many and once you fire them, you're done. And I've studied athletes my entire life. And I think I don't speak to you just as a coach. I think this is the parent in me where I will lay in bed and philosophize and try to think about, okay, what is it that I've learned in this life? What is it I've learned in this journey that I can take from to then hand to my son? And I will tell you, all of the greats of my life, the guys I really looked up to, I'm talking about the un- they were undefeated in high school or they were undefeated in college or they won world or Olympic titles very early. They all have one thing in common, which is they're all retired by the time they're 27. They just don't have anything left. And they want a whole bunch. They want a lifetime of awards. Might be the deal that you want to take, but either way, they were out. Whether it was mentally or physically their body broken down, they only had so much to give. They gave it all in a condensed area. I mean, and I'm talking all of them, track and field stars, basketball stars, baseball stars, wrestlers, boxers, right? They were all done at 27 years old. They didn't have anything left. So when you look at Surreal Gong, you've got the right to your opinion. Now you're sharing your opinion opposite of the people that actually put money down to back their opinion because they're betting on Surreal to win. I'm only sharing with you that to be the fresh guy or to, to, to have a lack of experience tends to be a very positive thing within sport. It's one of the problems that the commissions run to who are sanctioning some of these events is they want like records, but like records is very deceiving to like skills. And this whole belt system, by the way, do you guys know where it came from? You'll find this very interesting. You've heard of a black belt. You've heard of a white belt. And then you got all the belts in between. Everybody used to wear the gi to practice. Taekwondo, karate, jujitsu, judo, didn't matter what your discipline was. They all wore the gi to practice. And they were all white. And the gis were all white. Right, they're made from the same place and printed off and sold at the same store, and they're made out of cotton. Okay, great, they're, they're white. Well, you could walk into gyms and you could see whoever had the darker belt. That belt got dark because of the grime and the dirt and the sweat of a gym, of the lifetime of the belt. No matter how many times you washed it, over time it stained a little bit. All of our clothes do that. We can relate to that. But you could walk into a martial arts gym, you could kind of look around, and whoever had the darker belt meant that he had done it more times meant that he got more grime and more dirt and more sweat on that belt than the people that had the cleaner, crisper white belt. And almost to a man to a day, you could look at and whoever had the darker belt meant he had more experience, meant that he was better, and it would be true. So eventually they came up with the black belt versus the white belt, which would be on your first day and everything in between. So generally in life, I'm well aware that it's true. I'm just sharing with you, just reminding you. The fighters leave a piece of themselves in there. You don't get better by having a war. You have a wonderful night that you can cling to, that you can take with you. You get a pat on the back and people hopefully will remember that. But you, 
it doesn't mean you're going to have a better one the next time or a better one the next time. It's fighting that does the opposite. It wears you down a little bit. So it could be a little bit deceptive. Keep that in mind as you enjoy the heavyweight match. I want to stay on Saturday night's main event because when you think about it, the interim title label for this fight is a bit strange, at least according to referee Big John McCarthy. Big John did an interview with Schmo, and it was at the Bellator event. AJ McKee fought Pitbull. Very interesting match. AJ McKee is like 16-0 and 0 now, world champion. Oh, and by the way, just won a million bucks. I mean, it's a pretty good day to be AJ McKee. Set that aside. Big John does an interview with Schmo. And even though this is a Bellator event, when Big John talks, he talks MMA. And when Schmo interviews, Schmo interviews for MMA. So UFC comes up. And Schmo was looking ahead. He was talking about Derek Lewis versus Surreal Gone. Should this be for an interim championship? This is the topic. And Big John said, you know what? This is one of the few times I disagree with the UFC as it pertains to interim titles. This is John speaking. I generally agree with those interim belts, but this one's tough for me because you got a guy out there named Francis Ngannou who's healthy. He's waiting right there, so there's no need for this match. Now, no need for this match to be for an interim title. Specifically talking about the title. John, no problem with the match. The interim title. So, John makes a very good point, and I think that we all agree as a community that this interim belt is to identify who the number one contender is. Okay. If you follow the theory, which is what I think John was speaking to, he didn't elaborate. But I know John very well. I think I'm right when I guess... John's talking about, historically speaking, you need an interim championship when you don't have a heavyweight champion who can compete. Whether he's sick or he's injured, he can't compete. Can't compete, historically speaking, is the number one reason that you bring in an interim title. But what do you do? I'm asking the question. What do you do if you have a heavyweight champion who won't compete? What do you do then? And I don't know that we were ever given clear answers by Francis Ngannou. I know that Francis's manager spoke up at one point and said he is ready to compete. He just, September, you're doing this fight in August. He needs it in September. Okay, that makes sense to an extent. But then you find out there's a little bit more to the story. And that's where the UFC speaks up and goes, now wait just a second. Yes, he is saying September, or at least he's saying later. The bottom, We're not listening to that. What we're listening for is, can you fight in June? No. Can you fight in July? No. Can you fight in August? No. Okay, we're moving on. You're saying September. We're saying speed it up. You said the night you beat Stipe, you wanted fights and you wanted to stay busy. We're trying to get you fights and we're trying to keep you busy, but you're missing the date. Does it matter if you miss the date by a day? let alone a month. I'm asking you guys a question because these, these fights are bound by a contract and a contract does not care. If you are a day late, you are late, you are out of contract. So does the fact that it's one month make that some small period of time? I mean, it needs to be considered, right? We can't answer the question. What I'm suggesting for you is it needs to be considered. If you're the organization, you're putting on matches and a guy is telling you, no, no, no. Oh, but I can do this. Well, I didn't offer you this one. I didn't offer you a fight in September. I offered you one in June. I moved it to July for you. I moved it to August. I didn't move it to September. So what I'm asking and what I'm suggesting for you guys is what do you do in that spot if you have a guy who isn't hurt, isn't sick, but he isn't willing? What do you do? 
Do you move everything to accommodate and assume that he can do it in September or September doesn't work for you and you move it to October? Do you compromise on a date or do you realize I have a problem, I need to learn from the lessons that have already happened to me and not have this same problem again? So I'm going to hold an interim championship, and if he's so ready by August and or September, then he should be ready by November, which is when now I'm going to call on him to fight this guy. But if he doesn't, if he does the same thing to me for the November fight that he did to me for June, July, and August, I'm ready. I will just make it for an undisputed title, and I'll take the belt off the son of a bitch. I mean, at some point, it has to get that cold. There has to be a decision maker in the room. And we've seen this where other sports where they don't have a decision maker. And largely that was never tested where they needed one. I mean, I can take you back to the NBA two years ago when their ratings dropped by 60%. LeBron was hurt. LeBron wasn't playing. There was other teams and coaches and general managers that decided, let's keep our stars fresh and not put them in. We've got a team. We've got to play whoever we want. Let's not play the good ones. Let's save them for a different date so they're ready. And it sank the ratings by 60% because nobody could come forward and explain to an audience who had bought preseason tickets based on a schedule that the NBA put out why the players that you showed up to see are sitting on the bench. It became a problem. It was an unforeseen, but it became a problem. The NFL's never done with it. Tom Brady has never bitched out of a game because he didn't feel like it. Tom Brady never said, move it a date, give me an extra month, I haven't trained, I haven't prepared, I'm traveling, whatever the excuses were, he never offered any of them. And I'm using Tom Brady, but you could go right through the whole roster for the whole history of the NFL. They only have 16 games a, a year. It would be unacceptable for, for any of them to think they needed to rest. Well, what do you do in the other 40 weeks a year, right? I mean, you see what I'm saying? But it's something that's never been tested. The players agree with me. They agree with me. This isn't very many. For the UFC to look at one of their fighters, let alone their champion, and go, look, I'm only, I'm only calling upon you three times a year. If you're unwilling or you don't answer, what do they do? What do they do? What would you do in that spot? Would you hope and think that this is all going to get itself worked out? Or we said, look, i got to be ready. I've got to be ready. I've got to move on with it. Of course I'm going to be reasonable. Of course I'm going to listen. Of course I'm going to move dates, particularly for a heavyweight champ. Of course I am. I'm only going to do it so many times, and then i got to get on with it. I have a whole locker full of guys with the same goals. I can't hold them up. You decide what the answer is. I'm just sharing for you that there is another question. And while maybe we haven't seen a guy outside of hurt and or sick, maybe we haven't seen unwilling before. We are seeing it now. It needs to be observed. It needs to be recognized. It doesn't need to be judged. It needs to be learned from. Coming up in a moment, I'll talk about two of the most beloved fighters in the sport, George Masvidal and Khabib. That's next, but first, here's a word about today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. Summer has officially started, which means time off, relaxation, and vacation mode for some of us. This does not mean to get relaxed with your nutrition. Athletic Greens is helping me stay on point with healthy nutritional habits. One scoop of this daily all-in-one superfood powder contains 75 vitamins, minerals, 
and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one-stop shop for it all. Guys, it's simple. It's easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste, Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, these travel packs will come in handy for your summer travels. So whether you or your family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health simple each day. It's also tasty and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com chael and join the athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com chael and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Did you guys see this? So... Masvidal is doing uh, like a signing, a meet and greet, a PR marketing tour for that tequila that he's out there peddling. Some guy shows up and he breaks into this full-on Bruce Buffer introduction. If you haven't seen this, go see it. As far as impersonations go, it's very high level. And by the way, I don't submit for you. I think Bruce is the best. I don't submit for you that Bruce has the greatest voice. Bruce Buffer has a passion that passion is real, it's sincere, and it comes through the camera. That's why you can't replace Bruce. That's why Bruce is the best. His voice is fine. His attire is fine. All these different things. He has a passion that separates himself from the pack. I swear to goodness, this guy had the passion. I, this guy, he really did a great Bruce Buffer. Masvidal turns. whole thing's filmed. Masvidal turns and says to one of his people, he says, hey, I need that guy. So this guy may have inadvertently found himself a job. I love stories like that. I mean, you could tie it back to the big ones. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who wore a black jacket, leather vest, and had a bald head, who was already fired from WCW because Eric Bischoff said, and I quote, there's nothing I can do with a bald guy wearing a black jacket. That's not a gimmick. Stone Cold Steve Austin got a little bit of run in the WWE. He won the King of the Ring tournament. He grabs a microphone and he does what's called going into business for yourself. When you go into business for yourself, you are generally going to be fired from Vince McMahon, who's sitting at what's called gorilla position the second you come through the curtain. You are to follow the script. This is a show. It has writers. You are a performer. If you go off script, it's called going into business for yourself. If you get it right, you can go on to be a star like Stone Cold. I don't suggest that you do this unless you well know what you're doing, but Stone Cold came out and said, and he was talking about Jake Roberts, this guy can talk about his John 316, Austin 316, says, I just whipped your ass. 
Now that might blow off your guys' shoulders like it's nothing ass. At that time in wrestling, which was specifically catering to sixth graders and younger, that was the most profane thing that had ever been said ever, easily, easily. The announcer who was interviewing Stone Cold caught what he said and actually wanted to end the interview. He went into panic position for what he is going to have to deal with when he comes through and Vince is in gorilla position. Vince was going to fire Stone Cold, but he's thought, let's hold the thought. Let's just hold the thought. Something happened here. Something I don't want to happen, something I did not like, and something I don't think is going to work. But something's happening. Don't fire him yet. That was on a Sunday. On Monday, they did live television in a whole different town called Monday Night Raw. And people showed up in the audience, and a lot of them holding posters that said Austin 316. They went on and made merchandise that simply was a black t-shirt with white writing that said Austin 316. They sold more of those than Hulk Hogan sold Hulkamania shirts back in the day. It was the first, and I believe to this day, the only WWE piece of merchandise that was in the big box stores. I got mine. I walked right into the mall, the same mall that had a Macy's and a Nordstrom's, and I bought an Austin 316 at one of the shops. I've never seen WWE merchandise before or since. It worked. He went into business for himself. It worked. I got my own story, guys. I got my own story. I was I had my, my dust-up with Anderson Silva, and this is before we ever fought the first time, and nobody knew or even cared who, the, who this contender that was getting ready to be fed to the lion was. I happened to be that person. So I had left the expo. It was fighter week out in Vegas, having the expo, first ever. I leave, oh my goodness, I was very famous. And that's when I knew I made it. I was going to call my mother. I made it. I, I tried to leave. I had four people came up to me. Four, I mean, I'm, sur I'm freaking surrounded. Got four people wanting an autograph, a picture, or a moment. I got so many people trying to shake hands and keep track. Okay, I already did an autograph here. This guy said he wants a picture. This one needs me to make a message for his mom on his video phone. It's one of these things. You know, this is hectic for me. My four people, all of a sudden, there's a crowd. There's a crowd of hundreds. And my four people all left. I'm now in front of nobody. And I'm thinking, who is that? Is that Brad Pitt? I remember that literally went through my head. Brad Pitt. Anderson Silva. And the same way that I stood with those four people and I was going to make sure everybody got their video, their handshake, their moment with Chael, Anderson was walking through and never stopped walking. They're surrounding him and this mob is moving. He's getting through. He signs no autographs. He does no pictures. He makes no videos for anybody. And I remember seeing that. And I stopped and I told him. And he and I didn't know each other. We're getting ready to fight. This was not a mega fight. This was not a big deal at all. Again, this was a lamb going into slaughter. This is how this thing was viewed. And I said, Anderson, stop. Sign every one of those. Because when I'm done with you, nobody's going to want your picture again. And I didn't say this because I was upset with Anderson. I said it because I was seeing the world through my lenses, which is that time, was angry and I had just been humiliated. I had four people who I thought cared. They left the second they saw Anderson. I take it out on Anderson. Whatever. So what? I go to walk away. Where the expo is and where the hotel is, it is like a half a mile indoor walk. You got to go down this hall. It's the longest hallway I've ever been in. Inside doors. True story. So I'm walking and Anderson's behind me. And I keep, I said something else to him and I keep walking. At some point, he stops me. And he comes up to me, and there's people everywhere, and this, the iPhone's already 
out. You know, this, this is our media moment. This is it. And I'm, I'm not breaking. So he comes up and he puts his arm around me. And as soon as he does that, you know, that's not good. You stand there and now you're being, you know, I'm being condescended to like I'm Anderson's little brother. Or I can turn and push him away and we can have a media moment with all of these cameras that are caught. These are my options. I have no other. I turn to push him away. God damn, he smells good. What is that? So he had put his arm around me over here. This was like his armpit, like his deodorant or something. It smells fantastic. It was like this tropical... It was something, it smelled fruity. It was like no deodorant. I, I use Old Spice, but I didn't know there was a whole bunch of deodorant. Something smells great, and it throws me off. I get out of the moment. I'm going to go up to my room, but before I get there, I'm thirsty. I'm going to get something called a Roy Rogers. Do you know what that is? It's a Coca-Cola. They put a shot of grenadine. It turns it into a cherry Coke. It's what a five-year-old would get. Okay, this is what I'm going to get. So the Mandalay Bay has an open area bar. There's no seating, you just walk in, you get, so I go up and I, I get a drink and I start a conversation as I'm waiting for my drink with a guy. The guy, I could tell, knew MMA. He was a fan of some, he knew something about it, you know, kind of knew who I was, he knew the expo was going on, he knew there was fighters in town, he was just a, a perfect gentleman, but I could sense, and he didn't say a whole lot, but I could sense that he was a level of a fan to some degree, so I told him what had just happened. Just made the conversation. I, and I leaned into him and I said, smell that. Before I told him who it was and this, this tropical deodorant or whatever, before I said, I said, smell that. So that smells good, doesn't it? He goes, yeah, it smells great. What is it? So that's Anderson Silva. What? So I tell him the whole story, the one I just told you guys. The guy looks at me and says, could you tell that story again? I said, yeah. He said, could you tell it on ESPN? I said, yeah. He hands me a card and says, great, I'm going to fly you in to Bristol next week. He ran a show called MMA Live, which was a digital program, but it was also the only MMA digital program that existed at the time. That's how I broke into the business. That's how I broke in. I mean, I didn't go up like Stone Cold where I knew I was going to do it or like Masvidal's guy where he was looking to have a little fun, but on accident. And I broke in the bit and they never, they never left me. I'm still over there at ESPN, but this was how it happened. I promise you guys that are still here, I promise you when I started this story, I had a point. I cannot remember what the point is, but I hope you enjoyed the story. Khabib came out, you know, Khabib is good friends with Henry Cejudo. They're all trained by Ali Abdelaziz. Ali keeps that whole crew together tight, like a team. Like Khabib can be in Dagestan and does his training at AKA in California with Coach Javier, Henry could never have been to Dagestan or to AK, but Henry and Khabib will look at each other as teammates, right? Just, Ali has some way of keeping this whole group tight and together. So Khabib was weighing in on Henry. He was talking about Henry coming back, and Khabib was talking about there's no meaningful opponent. Now, Khabib is talking about motivation, and Khabib furthered that thought by saying somebody needs to grab that belt, defend it a couple times, have something that they bring to the table for Henry to come take from them. It's always, and I don't know that Khabib is right, but that's what I'm here to talk about. I know that Khabib is projecting. It's no different than when I come and tell you guys what somebody should do or what I predict they're going to do. I'm really telling you what I would do in that situation. And we do know from Khabib, the money doesn't matter. Khabib is looking for a reason to be there, purely competitively speaking. I don't know that anyone else is quite like Khabib. He's very unique. And I don't interpret that Henry is like that, but hold on because Khabib went further. 
Khabib said after the fight, Henry told Dana, now he's talking about the post-fight press conference, and I happen to remember this. He said, Henry told Dana, you've got my number. The problem is Dana didn't have an opponent. Hold the thought. I remember that. UFC 246, I remember that clearly. And Henry did go to the press conference after he retired, and he did say, Dana knows my number. I thought he was talking dollars. I thought that was the number he meant. I still believe that I'm right. But Khabib is suggesting that Henry said, Dana has my number. Dana knows my number. I mean, he can call me. Well, we're having a totally different conversation. And I think I'm right. I think Khabib's the one that's misinterpreting. But if that's what Henry meant, Dana knows my number means Dana can call me whenever he's got the right opportunity. He's just looking for an opponent. That changes everything. We're now having a very different discussion. I believe that Henry was looking for a dollar amount. I don't think Henry cared who the opponent was. I still don't think Henry cares who the opponent was if the money's there. I think his days of being a hungry competitor are over. I think that they ended at the Olympic Games. I can't prove any of the things I just said to be true. That's what I thought. Khabib's now got me thinking, well, I guess there's another option. Maybe Dana knows my number means Dana can call me when he has the right opponent. Maybe. Or maybe Khabib is projecting his own views on it, and Khabib's letting this, us in on something, that if the right guy gets built up in the UFC at 155 pounds and has the right things to offer, I'll come in and take it from him if it motivates me enough. Perhaps. I don't know what to make of this. I do know when people speak about other people, they're largely projecting themselves. You guys know that to be true. So Khabib's letting us in on something. But to keep this purely Cejudo-focused, I think that's interesting. Dana knows my number, meaning Dana can call me, but now we need the right opponent. I thought that when Henry stepped away, largely it was about legacy. He made a whole bunch of money. He'd won multiple world championships. He set records that are not likely to be beaten. I think for the best case you could hope for a tie, somebody else becomes a champ champ. That's all that we've ever seen before, to become a champ champ champ, which I think Henry did because the Olympics was at a different weight class. Many people forget that. Olympics was at one way. Then you got the featherweight. Then you got the bantamweight. He swept them all. I think he's the triple champ. I think that's true. But Khabib thinks something else. Khabib thinks for the right opponent with the right bragging rights? I mean, what do you get? If, you've already, if you're not after the money and you've already got the accomplishment, what do you get? I don't know. I don't know. I was never the champion. I don't know. For me, it was always the championship. But if you already have that. And this is what Khabib's speaking to. This is what's so unique about it. You have a champion talking about another champion. Very rare. So now you have a whole different mindset. There's different mindsets out there with people. I will tell you. I met a rich guy one time. Never forgot. I've only met three billionaires in my life. This was one of the billionaires. He told me, he said, rich people will try to buy things that money can't. What do you mean? What does that mean? He goes, well, if you ever do a business deal with a rich guy, you'll never get a contract. Why? would seem like the, the richer, the better the businessman, the more organized that he would be. He said, no, a rich man will never do a contract with you. It'll all be verbal. So that when the deal's done and he pays you, he's now buying something, which is that you trust him, that he is a man of his word. He's going to write a check, not just for what was done, but to show you that he can be trusted. He's buying something that money can't. I only bring that to you guys because I'm not a billionaire. I can't relate. I don't meet a whole lot of them. But now we have a champion talking about another champion. It potentially is a different mindset than we would think of. 
And one champion, Khabib, says for another champion, Henry, to come back, he needs motivation. And the motivation isn't in the form of money. It's the form of the right opponent. I'm asking you, is Khabib right? So Henry Cejudo is the former champ at 135, as is Cody Garbrandt. And to close out today's show, I want to talk about Cody No Love and the latest news surrounding his next fight. Cody Garbrandt going down to 125 pounds and he's making an argument as to why he should get a fight for the championship and for some reason that pisses me off. It, it annoys me and I can't even put my finger on it. I have a hard time articulating it. Cody Garbrandt, who has the it factor. Remember when Simon Cal? Remember when American Idol became this thing and there was this really rude judge and his name was Simon Cal. That all, the, he caught on throughout the whole world. Simon Cowell became a bigger star than anybody that was on the stage on American Idol. But do you guys remember this time frame? And Simon Cowell in interview came out and he talked about the it factor. You can have such and such voice and you can have such and such look. You either have it or you don't. And he never took the time to identify it any more than that, but he didn't need to. It is a real thing. And we all knew what Simon meant when he said it or somebody has the it factor. Cody Garbrandt has the it factor. He's a star, period. I don't think any of you disagree with me. And it's not just the fighting. It's not just that backstory where he's bringing that kid along that he put the belt around his waist. It's not just his look, which is unique with the tattoos and the whole bit. It's all of it together. He has it. And the fact that Cody Garbrandt has to argue that he should get a world title fight in a division where he's the only one that anybody would recognize and or know annoys me. It just bothers me. Cody, even as he was leaving to 125, took a shot at Sean O'Malley and said, don't worry, Sugar, I'll be back, and maybe by then you'll be in the top 15. And it's one of those things that's making me go, 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 Cody, are you buying into this? Are you buying into the what you're ranked business? Whatever that thing he said to Sean was, are you buying into that? Because if you do, you the, it's a two-way mirror, and you got to put it in front of yourself as well. And I don't know what Cody's ranked, but I don't care. He has the it factor. He's a former champion of the world. He's the only guy at 125 pounds who I would recognize. That's damn near a literal statement. Damn near. I would know Figueredo. I would, of course, know Moreno. You have Cody Garbrandt. Help me out, guys. Throw me a name. Not trying to be a jerk about it. Throw me a name. And if you are recognizable within this sport, you have done your job. Not if you got somebody in a room anonymously, allegedly on Tuesdays, who puts a ranking next to your name. That is not an achievement. That's a byproduct of the achievement. If you are a known commodity who people want to see, and by the way, when they look at you, they know what your name is and what it is that you do for a living, you've succeeded. And if more people recognize you and more people know what you do for a living just by looking at you and they know your name, more than the guy standing next to you, you're in front of him. Regardless of what an anonymous person every Tuesday, allegedly, by 8 a.m., puts next to your name. That cannot be an achievement. That cannot be looked at as an achievement. We as a community cannot allow that in. These aren't just Chael's rules. When I tell you that rankings don't matter and I don't know where to find them, that's a true statement. I'm going to take Cody at his word that Sugar Sean's not ranked. That would surprise me. I would find that to be ridiculous, particularly around the fact that Sean is like 15 and 1, and that 1 has a question mark 
next to it. I mean, in terms of he was injured and hurt, that would surprise me. If you got a guy that's 15 and one and he's signed to a major organization and he doesn't have a ranking, I would find that surprising. But I don't choose to argue it because there's a point of which shouldn't exist anyway. The rankings were never created for fighters. They were never created for matchmakers. Well, here's how we're going to do it. And this guy's going to fight with this guy because this number says, and it's closer to the, it. Never. They were created for people like me. 100%. A ranking is a talking point. It's something that gives you a good indicator. It's a pat on the back for a level of success to get the ranking. But moreover, it creates controversy which gives people like me who are sitting on their ass something to talk about. The fighters have somehow brought rankings into it. Cody Garbrandt should be fighting for a world title. Oh, Chael, how do you get to that conclusion? Because I know who in the hell he is, and so do you. That's why. And if somebody's better than him, then they should be more known. Do I have any arguments? Is there any part of that that doesn't make absolute sense? Well, I can't go to the gym, and I can't train for that, and I can't sit down with the team, and I can't prepare for that. How can you not? What are you talking about? Of course you can. Does Cody get extra credit because he's got cool tattoos that other guys don't have? Sure he does. He's got a cool hair. He puts little beady eyes on you as he walks to the ring and he looks like a scary guy. Yes, he gets credit for that. Yes. Your coach didn't share that with you? Your coach made you think this is all about can you close your hand and f move it in a forward direction? Can you faint first? Can you slip out of the way when the other guy does it? Then your coach failed you. Those are the real rules. That's the way this game has been played and will continue to be played throughout time. And the fighters, and Cody, who I'm here defending, is guilty of this. Cody is now talking about rankings? Who gives a goddamn? Nobody knows what those are. Nobody was designed to. You can't sell a pay-per-view based on your ranking. You can based on your appeal. You can't get a fight based on your ranking. You can based on your appeal. You can't get a paycheck based on your ranking. You can because of your appeal. But there is no catalog anywhere that can get recognized. There's no dot-com anywhere. There's no publication anywhere that can talk about a person because of their markability and or their appeal. You've got to figure that out on your own. Generally, the top guys have it figured out, but now I'm talking about a top guy who apparently doesn't have it figured out. Cody gets to fight for the world title. Why? Because he's a former world champion. That's why. Because he's never been in the weight class yet. That's why. Because everybody's going to stop and tune in to see how he does. That's why. That's it. Sugar Sean versus Cody. 135 pounds in a co-main event or higher. Works and should be booked any day of the week. Why? Because people know who they are. They both succeeded. They both won. And to let a false number put next to your name who was never designed in the first place, in the best of intentions, it was still designed for people like me to have something to talk about. To allow a false person hidden in a room that won't even put their own name next to it. To add validity and power to that person is insane. We don't know who does it. We don't know if there's a board that does it. We don't know if they're culpable, reasonable adults. We don't know if they're male or female, if they're licensed by any jurisdiction, if they have anything to do with the sport at all, but fighters continue to give them power and whatever name they spit out every Tuesday by 8 a.m. appears to be rules that people 
fighters who are supposed to be tough guys are willing to play with. I am whatever. The, can we do the rest of the sport that way? All of you fake tough guys that have your little fake contracts and want all of your little fake friends at your little fake clubs to know that you're, you're not to be messed with. You're a tough guy. You fight in a cage. Can we do the whole contract that way? Can we do it all quietly by a room that does not have a name or a face every week by 8 a.m.? Please, can we start making your matches that way? Can we start deciding who's the main event that way? Can I decide how much you're going to get financially to participate that way? Can I decide how many times a year you're going to do it that way? Can we never pick up a phone and discuss and talk about talking and all the things that you fake fighters use to hold up and delay having to get in the cage and do the actual hard work? Can we do it all quietly and anonymously in a room every Tuesday by 8 a.m.? We'll drop it on a dot-com somewhere and you guys will go and regurgitate it as much as you do the rankings. I didn't see any hands go up. I didn't hear anybody say, yeah, chill, that's a hell of a good idea. Let's just have somebody else do it. You let us know. You won't accept it in any other walk of your life. You won't accept it in any other part of the sport or any other phase within the sport. But you allow a ranking that gets published at 8 a.m. on Tuesday by an unknown entity to be an absolute and justify what you're going to do next and or a justification for something that you don't want to do in the first place. Why? I'm not looking to be a jerk about it. But it's amazing how well you guys are just accepting a number next to your name. And how do you even find out in the first place? Does someone call you? Does it light up? Is there a website? Is there a Twitter handle that you all follow? How would you even know what the ranking is? And once you answer that question, of which I suspect you have an answer. As a matter of fact, Chael, yes, there is a website. As a matter of fact, Chael, yes, they do have a Twitter page. As a matter of fact, yes, I do get an alert to my phone. All right, I'll accept it, whatever it is, but why can't the rest of the sport be ran that same way? Why can't we start making matches off of that? Why can't we negotiate, or in this case, not negotiate it at all? Why can't we just get an alert or go to a .com or a Twitter feed or however in the hell you're finding out what these rankings are that nobody possibly cares about except you? And how many days have you woken up early on a Tuesday to hit the refresh button just to see if a number's next to your name, to see if you've changed, stayed the same, or moved? I mean, how many times have you done that? Because I live that life, by the way. I'm not Mr. Innocent here. When I was in college, they had something called a ranking for the NCAA. They put out a ranking, and they put it out every week. It was done by a guy named John. It lived on a place called Intermat. Now, the internet, believe it or not, was very new at that time, and not everybody had one, but I was fortunate enough to have something called a Sony Vio. It was dial-up. Ding, 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 ding. Do you guys remember that? And I would check that every single week, and even if I hadn't lost, it could move. There was an upset somewhere, and somebody slid in, and it could bump me, and my attitude was directly related to whatever that number was. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of other people that even had an internet at the time. Social media was not even a term at the time. A lot of people didn't know it. But for the couple of times a year that somebody would do a publication on wrestling, they would take John's suggestions and post it in those publications. It was a big deal. I can tell you it never got me a dollar. It never helped me to win a match. It never scored me a takedown. It never changed where the event was going to take place and or who I was going to go against. But for that day and that moment, it meant something to me. And then it had the opposite effect as well. As my ranking went down, all of a sudden my day is ruined. 
And that's just weird. In all fairness, I would encourage you guys, it's always all right to read what they say about you, but it's a big problem if you believe it. If they say that you're worthless and you believe it, it's a problem. If they say that you're wonderful and you believe it, it's a problem. It's a glaring and identifiable problem in sport as much as life. I've seen guys where they say wonderful things about him, and I say, my own teammate, he quits coming to practice because he believed it. He thought it was true. He quit working hard. He quit putting the time in. He thought that he was invincible. I could name names one after the next. I knew when all of their careers were going to be over. Some of the biggest names. I trained with them. Team Quest was a huge dream at a time. I knew before the world knew that he's done. I could name names for you of guys who were the first one in the door and the last one out the door, and all of a sudden they're not even coming in the door. I had one guy skip practice and lost a ranking, a top ranking, because the salmon were in. He had to go salmon fishing. I don't know a damn thing about it. I can only tell you that it's true. And if you start to believe what they say about you, either way, you're screwed. It's no way to go through life. Cody Garbrandt should fight for the world championship at 125 pounds. Why? Because he has succeeded in the most important thing at succeeding it, which is making people interested in him. If you're going to buy into the ranking. If an anonymous person every Tuesday by 8 a.m. can tell you how good you are and you believe it, let's start adopting that in other phases of the sport. Let's make a deal here. I will start telling you guys who you're going to fight. I will make your matches. I won't do it anonymously. I'll come. I'll be one step better than the rankings. I won't hide. But you don't get to argue. You don't get to contest it. You don't get to say, say your side. You don't get to make any kind of complaints. You don't get a volley and jock and go back and forth. You blindly accept it. The same as you cowards accept your ranking. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you like or dislike the program, let us know by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review like our friend Chuck, who says, Chael, you should add Burger King as a sponsor. You're right, Chuck. Thanks for listening. And make sure you come back Friday for my official UFC 265 curse, I mean prediction. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.